You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. What is the which what's your favorite thing going on in your life right now that is not flesh and blood? Favorite thing going on in my life right now. I'm really enjoying reading Brendan Patrick. Really What are you reading? I'm still reading Mistborn, Mistborn. right? I'm still reading Mistborn, yeah, yeah. I'm almost finished book one. I've been quite busy with work last week because it's about to wrap up for the year. But yeah, no, reading. Uh getting outside has been pretty good. It's the end of the year. It's uh it's a, it's a good time. You getting yourself on a mountain bike for Christmas? Do you know what? I thought about it. I really thought about it. So I told this, I messaged Brendan a couple of months ago. I think it was before Worlds and said, I really want to pick up like an activity fitness that's not related to, that's not like team sport or anything. It's kind of like individualistic. I'm looking at getting a mountain bike and hitting some trails around where I live. But the weather had been terminally bad up until that point and summer was not looking good. Summer still doesn't look great, but it has, the weather is looking a bit better. So I'm heavily considering it. I'm heavily considering it. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what yeah. happens. It might be a next summer thing now, sort of end of winter next summer, but we'll see. Anyway, what, what about you, Brendan? What are you enjoying? Running. You're still running, right? Uh, yeah. So enjoying I running. have a... Unf- it's gr- No, honestly, it's great. So I started training a lot smarter. Uh, I have like tempo runs that I'm doing nowadays and like easy runs. And um, anybody who's a runner probably knows what that is. I didn't uh, before. I was just kind of going out there and pushing it every time. It sucked every time. And yeah, it's just not the most effective way to train. Unfortunately, right now I have a little bit of an E uh, issue. Um, just like my IT band is like really tight and I got to roll it out and stuff. And sometimes when I get out there and I run, it's like a seven out of 10 in terms of pain. I got to stop and I got to go do uh, like a mountain bike instead, actually do a little bit of cross training. But that creeped up about, you know, four or five days ago. And yeah, it's a little bit of a problem to be honest, uh, but just working through it. I've had so many things crop up during this training cycle, to be honest. I used to have this really bad pain in like the top of my left foot um, and that would like radiate up to my knee and like all I had to do, because I went and saw a massage therapist and a uh, phys- physical therapist, do like, just do the stuff. Nah, I have, to do to- <laughs> I have to do this thing called toe yoga. So. <laughs> Yeah, basically every, every, I do sauna every night. And then when I'm in there, you just have to lift up your big toe, keeping your other toes on the ground and then lift up your other toes, keeping your big toe on the ground. Apparently it's like very hard for some people, but if you do that, it will strengthen the exact muscle that was giving me, uh, giving me issues. Doing it right now for testing. Well, great. Uh, maybe with some of this downtime and injury time, you can play some dynasty flesh and blood and, uh, get, get some Telashar rips in or something. And, uh, well, we got January coming up. I'm, uh. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in between Kano and Icelander. Icelander's just in a fantastic spot, um, I believe. And then, I don't know about Kano, dude. I don't know about bringing Kano to ProQuest. It just doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't seem like his place to shine. Are you going to Indy? I'm, uh, I might. I'm not going to New, the Battle Hard in New Jersey, but I will probably go to the Calling, yeah. Surely, surely. Okay. I, I was just gonna say I messaged I, like as soon as I announced OP, I messaged I messaged uh, Legend Story um, for inquiries about casting because I would love to cast indie actually because last time I was there I was playing and uh, don't really feel like losing on stream again to D Rude. That one you know still hurts a little bit. You still you were still losing on stream at Worlds. It's okay. Anyway, Brennan, what are we talking about today? All right, yeah. So today uh, I think there's a little bit of an ode to a 
former SO we did, but a long, long time ago at that. And that's just top five new player level up. So <clears throat> what are like the f- the five most important things to keep in mind as you start your flesh and blood journey, or maybe you've been playing for a little bit that will help you get to the next level as fast as possible. You know, some of these things are <clears throat> maybe a bit more concrete and quantitative, like one of the top, one of the points is is math, right? But then the other ones are a bit uh, are are not right. They're pretty much the opposite. It's like community, mentorship, all that stuff. It really helps more, like more than you would think. To be honest, is to surround yourself with the right people. I, I've said it a million times on this pod. I pretty much attribute all of the success or little success I did have in Flesh and Blood to being able to play with players like Hayden Dale, Sasha Markovic, etc. Too kind. <laughs> too kind. Too kind. Before that, right, I guess, got- have, you, have you been playing any Flesh and Blood? We'll just kind of skim through this week in Flesh and Blood. I, you know, I'll, I'll pass to you first. Yeah, I actually was playing a little bit of the, one of our new Kano brews on Talishar. But outside of that, um, been a bit on the Marvel Snap Train, to be honest. They, the game... Yeah, I was talking to Hayden about this. It's been it's been a rough it's been a rough season for me. I uh, I basically was reset down to rank seventy. I got to rank ninety in in one day, and then I spent about fifteen days agonizing between plus or minus rank ninety five. And it's man, I like I've gotten to the point where I'm a grown adult, and I'll be sitting in my bed and like in the morning, and I'll be like, dang it, <laughs> it's just like I'm mentally broken at this point. I can't do it. <laughs> oh. I've been playing, you? yeah, I've been playing some Flesh and Blood. Been, I played, I've been playing a bit of Dash, again, still, still playing Dash. Uh, I didn't play as much this past week as I had sort of the prior week, but I did go to, Monday night, I went to a, like a, like a, like winner store credit kind of event at a local store. Mm. I think it was like $150 first or something. I played this Dash deck. I think it's super powerful. I wanted to kind of like just spotlight it while we talked about this week in Flesh and Blood and planning to do some sort of deck tech but dash just continues to impress me impress me and hanabi blaster is just that card is to me ridiculous and it's funny because someone asked about something in our our discord and i posted the kind of like basics here of where i'd started i've been iterating on the 60 quite a bit and then going back to the base and trying different things just coming back to this base plan to always try and have like a core hanabi blaster deck and then trying different things out so i I posted this base 60 and then someone was like oh yeah i played a few games this seems like you know doing some really powerful stuff and then some people like i don't know hanabi blast seems really bad and to to me the card is just so far it's been the strongest card in in the set it's just it's just sitting there you're like you're like banned no i'm kidding (laughs) no it's not like Uh, yeah it's like the one thing i really like about dynasty is i think that the the power level and the way that the power level is done is really interesting like it takes it takes a lot of setup to have this and i think Mm -hmm. the dash deck has to be built around it you know i'm playing a lot of cards like crankshaft i think jumpstart as another zipper head is like a really powerful card that you get off the back of that as well that goes with kind of what you get with an ivy blaster but a lot of the other cards are kind of you know they're they're the things that help you drive it they're the, the crankshafts the um your you know your blue items your tech cores and your pounders that the deck is really interesting because it's it's not this just like straight up balls to the wall aggro deck and it's actually it requires you to kind of block and, and defend and play the game and you draw these hands that have items in them and you set those up and then you defend and then you're looking you're working out how many times am i going to actually be able to activate my hanabi blaster what does it look like you're actually trying to play like four or five turns of the game at once which i i really like so you know, people might say, oh, it's not that big brain. Calm down, Hayden. But uh, <laughs> I do think the deck is, is quite interesting and do plan to... I to, to tell you what, I'll probably play it for something very soon and uh, do a deck deck. So I just want to 
tweaked it a bit more. I haven't been playing as much as I would like. So I, like I played it at this event. I won the event. Or I, I, me and someone else went undefeated. We split the split the prize because they didn't have enough time to do the last round or something. But I still I haven't played enough to the, like I'm not testing the deck. It's not to the point where I'm like playing this every night like our normal testing. So I do want to put something up, but uh, just give me some time. Yeah, I have a follow up question. Where do you think the phrase "balls to the wall" comes from? <laughs> <laughs> you said that, and I was like, "Huh, what does that actually mean, Haydendale?" Uh, great question. If anyone knows, drop it in the comments. Where does the phrase "balls to the wall" come from? Uh, you know what? Maybe it's maybe it's for dodgeball reference. You know, I don't know, man. I don't know <laughs> for sure. I mean, let's see if we can find it in the news. You got anything for this week? Oh, we've got some news. I'll tell you what. This is the end of the year, and people are thinking this podcast is getting less and less flesh and blood related. They're talking about homology. Like, you know, we, we really pull it around. No real, actually, I said there's news. It's not really news this week in the world of flesh and blood. It's quietening down. We are week of Christmas when this pod drops. I think it's, what, the 22nd, 23rd. So end of the year is fast upon us. We talked about all the OP announcements that happened last week. We dove into those. Just to recap those, we have this pathway for OP in 2023. I'm really hoping that in jan we we get confirmed dates james did allude that that would happen in early jan that we would have more information confirmed location and dates for the pt i really want an elo update brendan i posted a mm. poll on twitter last week said are we getting an elo update before christmas 57 percent said no but 43 percent said yes and i think that's way too optimistic because it looks like we're definitely not getting one but um it would be it would be nice to get a, an elo update before christmas i don't think we'll get one so i think we'll probably get one before ProQuest season starts it's a funny system, man. <laughs> well, I just want to see um, where I am on limited. I'm so selfish. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I think it's funny in the way and how they updated it. And like, I remember that one time that they up they like batch updated it, and like some stuff was like seemed like it was off. It's it's wild. Hopefully, they get it to an uh, close to automatic sooner. Probably the reason they're not using the scripts at the moment. But I did receive this in the mail, Brendan. I believe you've already received one. Mine just arrived. This is a, a package. If you're on, I'm, yeah, if you're an audio listener, not on YouTube, I'm currently holding up a package. It's a, you know, it's a box. It's about 30 centimeters by 25 centimeters, about, let's say, eight centimeters deep. Uh, it does say from James White at Legend Story Studio. So I know a number of people have been receiving these. Mine came quite late because I missed the two deliveries. I'm going to open it while we do this uh, news section of the pod, see what we've got in here, because Alice is a pretty well known, Brendan, for sending out these Christmas gifts now. They've done it three years in a row running now uh to a lot of the content creators of course they send out these content creator kits as well to give away we've given away a number of those you know the um the heralds as we have in the past yeah i just uh you know i pity all of our audio listeners here because they've they've got hayden whispering in their ears talking about balls to the walls opening up packages on camera like it's it's really confusing out here yeah i mean (laughs) (laughs) it's end of the year you know uh so i do have a, a shitty christmas present from james white james white's trying to get us demonetized we don't actually monetize youtube so it's fine we can swear all we want we just generally keep it pretty clean a very nice thank you note from james and the team there uh that's come in this box i feel like we're i now feel like i'm fluking box i feel like i've started a box opening channel um <laughs> there's some cool stuff in here though there's a pair of flesh and blood christmas socks brendan they're, they're they look like crack bauble yeah crack bauble the christmas crack bauble from last year on a pair of socks i'm holding those up to the camera you can't see them if you're on audio but they look really cool i'm gonna wear those on christmas day it's guaranteed that's happening we do also have playmat here it is the looks like it's the the shitty christmas present playmat if i can haven't uh haven't already seen this 
looks pretty cool. Very nice, very nice. And of course, the <laughs> shitty Christmas present. And there's also a cold foil crack bauble in here. Uh, so, very good. Very cool that they send this out to, you know, content creators and, and members of the community. I think LSS are really aware of what's happening in the community, which is, which is awesome to see. Anyway, Brennan, that's the news. <laughs> yeah. Did they... So they left the... Oh, never mind. Uh, Wait, yeah, what? No, what so by the way, <laughs> uh, not. I mean, just obviously, there's discrepancy between our packages. That's okay. I see they might like one of us more. Um, my shitty Christmas present is actually turned into an ornament, and it's hanging on my tree right now. I did it with uh, my crack. Highly recommend you do. I did that with my crack oh, ball last year. Yeah, I did nice. that with my my foil crack ball. But we don't have a Christmas tree this year, so I know who are we? Anyway. Mm. Well, speaking of Christmas trees, let's head to the Command and Cookout and queue up some of the Barbie. We've got something from the Arsenal Pass Discord here. Uh, a user, codename MMB. That's what I'm going to uh, shorten his name down to because it is quite mm, controversial. <laughs> it says, uh, they say, why does it seem like LSS wants to make Ranger so convoluted? How would you fix it? Well, I think this is actually... If you look at flesh and blood cards, they tend to value on hit effects with a actual numerical quantitative value, which does end up being subtracted from the attack value of the card. Um, most of Ranger, Ranger's cards have that. That's why it seems to be fundamentally under curve, right? <clears throat> Just seems to do less damage than most other classes. I mean, Brute is a bit in the same category there. But at the same time, Ranger has to jump through hoops to even attack with their cards, right? They have to have a bow, um, they have to load it into their arsenal, and then you have these sort of dreaded turns where you end up just not drawing the arrows at all. And it feels quite clunky. Um, but outside of that, I think that Ranger has actually improved quite a bit from where it used to be, uh, especially with the introduction of Lexi. It seems like much more of a <clears throat> fully realized Ranger at this point fully functional right it's kind of live to perform well at tournaments um but azalea maybe still lagging a bit behind i think it's really one sort of very good piece of equipment or you know good suite of cars for being a a, a, a respectable deck and it arguably is there already you saw its performance before the world championships sort of preying on some of the aggro decks so rangers come a long way um i think that but to answer the question of why it's so com convoluted i think it's because uh legendary studios has overvalued the on hit effects of some of the ranger cards and undervalued how uh, sort of how clunky it is to have arrows in your deck as your primary means of attack and to not have a weapon interesting one i think the convolutedness and the power level are separate in my mind. So I, I get what MMB is uh, talking about here in terms of the asking about how convoluted things are because this whole idea, flavorful is what I'd say. It's very flavorful. Mm. You have your arrow, you know, you knock your arrow and your bow, you shoot your arrow. It all makes sense, right? But it leads to gameplay sort of patterns. First of all, that can be a, a bit more complex. I, I don't even know if I'd say convoluted to be honest. I might disagree on that a little bit. I think... Some aspects of Azalea have felt like that, and maybe some of the cards that have come in future sets prior to Dynasty. I actually think Dynasty simplifies things a little bit. but So there is some added things there. But it's not... I don't think that's necessarily related to power level. I think there's a second thing that's happening, which is what Brennan just talked about, which is that the cards... A lot of cards, especially original cards when we had Azalea, did feel uh, overcosted, basically. And I think there is... It, but it's not it's hard because i think that it's overcosted potentially by like half half a resource point and you can't have half resource points you know i can't pay one and a half for an arrow 
which is really what I would like to do. And I think LSS might even, you know, they try and find abilities to balance that. It's like, this could cost two, but it would be bad. If this costed one, it would be overpowered. And that's a really hard balancing act, right? Like, how do you, how do you find the in-between of that? And often LSS will try and balance that with small tweaks to the, the text line of the card, or maybe there will be a power increase or a power decrease to make that happen. But they can equally do the same thing where you, you unbalance the card to be powerful or just straight bad. So I think there's two streams of things that are happening when it comes to Ranger. There's the, the I'm going to call it complexity because I don't even think it's the necessarily convoluted. Um, I think the next piece is just the, the power rate and what that means for arrows. All that said, though, I think Lexi is in a phenomenal spot right now in mm-hmm. this class constructed meta. We just saw Lexi 9-0 the battle hardened in Singapore and take that out. Lexi is something that I'm considering for pro quest season, depending on what the meta shakes out like. It's, I don't think it's cut and dry, but if I was to say, okay, I do think it's a bit complex, uh, like the question's asking, how would you simplify things or go about fixing it, quote unquote. I would like to see potentially some aspects of either the combat chain or more traditional things that we associate with flesh and blood come into the ranger side of things. So I think we've seen that a bit more with some on-hit effects that interact with your opponent from Lexi and then from Dynasty, we've seen that with cards like Drill Shot and um you know heat seek is an interesting card because that still interacts with more traditional things that that ranger does that's kind of what i mean those are those more traditional things you know you hit you get a card from your top of your deck face up it's another thing you have to think about with the face up aspect i'd love to see some things that are a bit more maybe traditional aspects so whether that's you know attack reactions for ranger whether it's uh you know do we even get to a point where ranger can play attack actions and not get as punished for playing them you know, if you put, if you want to build a, ra- a ranger deck and you go and put twenty non-arrow attack actions in your deck, they're gonna they're gonna underperform, right? You you your weapon access is and as a bow, you've got these attack actions. If you don't draw an arrow, how do you balance it? Like, do you remember when people played Redliner and they would try and play like Ravenous Rebel, Snatch, all these good generic attacks, and then they would play arrows, and it's like, oh, this turn I drew all arrows and I can only load one, or this turn I drew no arrows, I can't load any. You know, so I would like to see a way that maybe. Ranger can get a little bit less punished for building that way. Just it gives a different avenue to play. Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with you on that. But uh, also echo your your statement there of Lexi's sort of potential power in the current meta. Um, I agree with you, and I I, I think that the deck arguably has already seen a breakout, but will continue uh, as we progress. And if we ever do get into these hyper aggressive metas like the the ice lexi deck is just can be devastating to things like briar and it's it's not fun to play against so yeah uh, i remember when i played the battle harden here in dallas there was an ice lexi that went undefeated in swiss unfortunately lost in the first round of top eight to, i think an old him but um i mean ice lexi is very very good against aggro decks or you know ice lexi quote unquote yeah no i i think more traditional ice lexi is what i would look at but the good thing about lexi is you get to play an aggro disruptive deck it's something that's quite unique in flesh and blood so you have disruptive decks in the form of you could say Ultim and Icelander and those decks tend to have you know they're not coming in with these attack actions they're not using the combat chain as as aggressively you know Icelander obviously with like the with Bulllander sort of builds but they're not it's not about the on-hit effects of the attacks and that's really interesting from the Lexi standpoint plus you get access to all the same cards Hypothermia, Channel Lake Frigid so into really aggressive metas especially ones that are preparing for Icelander a bit more with access to resources don't worry about them having resources just hit them with chilling ice veins and you know damage just kill them <laughs> plus also have the disruption element i think it's quite cool yeah. so 
we're close. We're close to say the least. Uh, for uh, Ranger could break out, I think, with uh, Dynasty might have might have been the set, but uh, you know maybe maybe Outsiders here will provide Ranger a little bit more support, and we could see uh, Azalea pop up to be that sort of premier tier one deck. That'd be interesting. Yeah. But yeah on to the uh, well, is oh, Azalea sorry. coming? I was just gonna say it sounds like from this interview that James White did the other week with uh, the French sort of premier channel Lefidia that we might be getting. Azalea. Well, it sounds like we're getting Azalea. Is this a Starbo treatment or is this <laughs> Azalea somehow in the set? Like, it's really interesting. But we're in the pits, right? So, I don't know. Right, Ranger's, Ranger's not far off, like you say, and it might even have all the tools it needs. Heatseeker is a phenomenal card, and Drill Shot's pretty good as well. Yeah, actually, Ranger has a few, like, phenomenal cards, just kind of all the cards below that that, you know, occupy your deck that are uh less exciting but and the onto the mace or complex and the convolutedness <laughs> from yeah as mmb said thanks for, thanks for the question by the way if you do want to get your questions in uh submit them to arsenal pass fab gmail.com drop them in our discord youtube comments below tweet at us dm us uh we definitely have some space for some more questions in the new year all right on to the main topic of the pod which is the top five level ups for for new players so started off here with a sort of a bullet point that we did an entire podcast over which is picking a deck right uh when you're starting out to do this i think that you want to uh potentially look at the three big macro archetypes and see where you you might want to slot in there so that's going to be aggro mid-range and control those are those terms apply pretty loosely in flesh and blood to be honest i think aggro definitely does exist mid-range is really what is mid-range and flesh and blood i sort of attribute it nowadays to value decks things like icelander which is also disruptive deck but is really just trying to be you know numerically above the opponent on each turn cycle and generating value in the control decks control in flesh and blood is sort of a mix between disruption and potentially fatigue you can look at something like old him um you know it's able to grind you out with the weapon it gets a lot of value off crown of seeds that's that's sort of the premier control deck for me in fab right now um and yeah, just to talk about you know, aggro examples, it's just going to be like fine Briar, right? Uh, potentially some some dash builds, maybe not Hayden's dash build, but some boost dash builds definitely fall in that aggro that aggro category. But Fi and Briar, uh, very good examples of that. <laughs> and yeah, I think that after that, you 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 figure out what archetype you want to be in, and you look for a hero that speaks to you. Um, we mentioned a few that fall into fall into the larger categories, but. Um, you know, all the heroes are pretty much viable, at least right now in this class constructed meta. It is very liable to change as a new set comes in, um, but super healthy, uh, healthy era of the game right now. And you can pretty much pick up and play everything to a reasonable level of competitiveness. I did add here to be careful picking Azalea because <laughs> that one, that one's uh, maybe the only other, the only one that's kind of an iffy, but I, I think it's I think it's powerful enough this day. So find a hero that speaks to you. Figure out if you're more of an aggro player, maybe a mid range control. Like what what makes you happy? Kind of smorking your opponent down, grinding your opponent out, or you know hitting them with them some aether ice veins and hypothermias and all of that. Um, but yeah, what, that's that's sort of go ahead, Hayden. Just so what goes into that? What what goes into choosing an archetype? Like what do you, if you're you know you're Brendan Patrick, you're teaching someone to play the game or maybe you've got a friend who's you know they've played the basics of the game now they've been playing for a couple of months and they're looking to play pro quest season one and they're thinking okay how do, how do i choose an archetype like i've i've played across maybe some of them some of them i haven't like what are your tips like do you have a process for choosing an archetype how do you how do you go about that for an archetype i think it's 
It depends, right? Uh, I would say from the start, it's what you find joy in, right? We talked about kind of what aggro does, um, what mid-range does, and what control does. So whatever playstyle you find the most enjoyable, because I do think that they are quite distinct from one another. But to be honest for me, like you talked about going into a pro quest season, you know, maybe starting your sort of tournament career, let's say, even if it's an, even if you're starting with armories, like same kind of thing, I would actually utilize results to be honest, especially in today's day and age, because there are so many available, especially if you go on to something like fabtcg.com, um, or you follow any of the sort of ongoing tournaments, whether they be Battle Hardens, Callings, Pro Tours, World Championships, there is really good sets of data to kind of tell you what is performing well right now. And the way it has worked in Flesh and Blood, kind of, is that what's performing well right now tends to kind of keep performing well, at least the top three, right? So, like, you know, you're going to have your premier ultimate deck be available, uh, your Icelander mid-range deck, and maybe your Fi and Briarsis aggro decks moving forward. Those tend to not get too disrupted unless something like a Starvo comes in that really hoses your hero. But I personally, I, w I would choose something like mid-range probably because like Icelander, that's that's what I enjoy playing the most. Um, I feel like that's the most rewarding, right? There's, a, there's kind of a constant back and forth between me and my opponent. Um, and Aggro swords sort of gets that 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 advantage out the window, and control gets it later in the game. While mid range sort of plays throughout the entire game, just trading on value, right? So it's it's more of a back and forth through the whole time. Um, but yeah, I would that's that's what would speak to me, and then I would probably go look at look at recent results to find out what kind of deck that fits that archetype is currently successful, and likely pick that up or at least give it a try. Do you think in the the current form of flesh and blood, the you, know, you talk about archetypes, the said aggro, mid range control i'd even add a combo into there as well potentially mm -hmm. but do you think those archetypes uh there's viable options in all of them that just playing to the archetype that you prefer to to play with so be that i'm an aggro player that's how i identify i like to play proactively or i like to play more passively i'm more of a control player i like to disrupt the game if you identify in one of those segments do you think the, the archetypes are you know there's viable options in there you can just always stick with those right now or do you think you you need if you want to be as competitive as possible you might have to change between those so you say right now right so if, yeah, if the question was right now i would say i would say five thousand like five thousand percent like i think that there is a deck in each one of these in each one of these archetypes that is that is competitive that you can be successful with if i look back to some of the very aggressive metas we've been in like chain and briar i think that mid-range decks basically didn't exist or really really struggled in this meta and we sort of had this polarity between hyper aggressive decks and hyper defensive decks and there there didn't there didn't feel like there was a lot of in between um but those decks were just way more powerful than it, it, it kind of like what we have today so yeah i think that in today's day and age to answer your question there are decks uh, in each sort of major archetype that you can absolutely be successful with. The one, if we added on that fourth of combo, mm. combo is probably the one that maybe struggles the most right now. Yeah, combo doesn't really have as, as much of an identity, I think, in Flesh and Blood, which is tough. But I, I think just extrapolating from what, what you said, Brendan, you know, if you are sitting there as a player and you feel like you do identify with be it, be it combo, be it control, be it mid-range or aggro, and that's where you want to play your flesh and blood. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you can feel pretty confident right now that you can back yourself, go into ProQuest season and go, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to try and reinvent the wheel when it comes to how I play flesh and blood. I'm going to stick in what I know and I'm going to go to that segment. Like Brennan said, I'm going to go take a look at what the metagame, how it's been unfolding. <clears throat> you know, we did a pod last week about the metagame and, and what's been happening. 
we talked about the heroes that are sort of on the rise and, and this meta being potentially quite aggressive. Okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a more disruptive control-based player. Go look at the, the decks that are out there at the moment. What does that mean for me? Does that mean, you know, and one that comes to the forefront right now, which Brendan might disagree with, though, is, is Bravo, right? Like, Bravo seems to be in a, a potentially strong spot. Maybe that's where you go for in terms of uh, that deck, and uh, maybe maybe you haven't had as much experience with Bravo. Maybe Brennan, you might lean on something like an Ultim that you are more familiar with because it does something potentially similar, or you know you you're still playing in your wheelhouse of the archetype, but a hero that you're more familiar with as well. Yeah, and I would say um, if you are balling on a budget, as they say, um, <laughs> it tends to be that the aggro decks will be more accessible and cheaper. They just tend to run more of the common cards, I guess. Uh, the Icelander deck, I guess, had a lot of commons, but I think it was still relatively relatively pricey because of its popularity, winning U.S. Nationals and going out to win the World Championships. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and the Fable, right? The Fable you could probably take out, to be fair. Um, but the control decks, I feel like Oldham, are tend to be a little bit more on the pricey side. And I think just a better entry point overall, especially if you're newer to TCGs in general, is going to probably be an aggressive deck. Yeah, the, the, the reason for that, I think the reason it's happened so far, long-term that might not be the case, but the reason it's happened so far is because you have re more replacement level effects in an aggressive deck. So and if I use uh, if I use Ninjas as an example, right? Like <clears throat> Blossom, um, Blossom Spring or Best the First First or Hunter Crush Up, these, mm -hmm. these cards have been used in these aggressive decks because the games are shorter on your your game plan you want the game to be shorter so use your resources when you need it to do these big turns whereas on the flip side of it with uh, some of these and so there's a lot of those options at, at common and rare whereas there's less of those options for a deck that's more built around the equipment pieces which we've seen with you know decks like ultim um decks that want to have this defensive availability so like skullcap crown tectonic plating all these cards are really important to it so i i think that is that is true also the other thing as well is that some of these more control or combo based decks like to swap their equipment a bit more so you know iceland are pretty well known for playing like coronet peak plus crown of providence plus alluvian casalis plus tunicra etc you know there's a lot more legendaries in some of these these decks as opposed to aggressive decks that go this is my plan i'm gonna enact my plan i'm the proactive deck i can keep my equipment pretty simple all the time yeah uh, so the next point is actually one i'm pretty excited about because it's kind of recent uh, at least it's recent to our previous podcast uh, on sort of new player level ups, uh, this was definitely not on there, and that's online resources. This is a few things, to be honest. So we already talked about decks, right? So decks on fadpcg.com, they're quite good at um, recording these battle hardens, uh, callings, pro tours, worlds, and getting the top deck list and posting them online for everybody to have access to. Also, ProQuest, they get a lot of deck lists mm -hmm. out of ProQuest, as well as put out sort of meta meta analysis and things like that and it's a fantastic resource if you're planning to if you're trying to be successful in the pro quest season especially as it adapts and you go from week to week um just an awesome resource outside of that back when back in back in my day back in hayden and i's day when when we first started arsenal pass you could go on youtube and search um let's say arachne gameplay and there would be nothing. That is absolutely not the case anymore. You can search whatever hero you're interested in and immediately get bombarded by all kinds of gameplay, usually a deck tag that has sort of, you know, potentially as a sideboard guy as well, game plans. There's so much resources that you can access online, so much knowledge you can gain from other players that I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't go and check that stuff out. Yeah, I agree. And there's particularly a great one called arsenal pass which is just you know just <laughs> phenomenal 
go check out their videos on Legend Story Studios YouTube channel as well. You know, <laughs> but but there is there's there is a lot of good. There's a lot of content out there, first of all, and there's also a lot of good content as well. So mm. I think it is about finding the, the the players and and the content creators you you, you can trust. Um, but I, I don't think that's that's hard to do because even some of the creators that maybe aren't as experienced, they're still going to have some really good points and different ways of thinking about these decks, and and all that can be really valuable information. Um, especially if you can find some specialists and, and heroes, things like that. You can, you know, there's people out there who put on like, they go through, there's someone doing Bolton and they're like doing every matchup with Bolton and like doing gameplay to like show the kind of game plans and stuff. I'm like, that's great. You know, like, you know, if I want to learn Bolton, go flick through and watch those, learn how to, to pick that up. The other thing I want to shout out, Brennan, is like, like Fab, you talked about Fab TCG and the deck list and events. I think Fab, uh, February does a really good job of this. So February.net, mm. I think is the website. If you don't use this website already, you should. It's great for uh, deck lists. It's great for card resources. It uh, has really great stats involved with the deck yeah. list as well. So you can look at, you know, like breakdowns and things like that. You can also see if people use the deck on Talishai through the link. You can see it's like win rate and stuff, which is whatever. That's kind of whatever. But you can also see like cards blocked with, cards pitched with, which is really cool in those games. Um, and that website is is great, I think. And they also do a really good job of curating events. So if you go into there, they have a deck list page and they have a tournament section. You can go and see all the recent events. You can filter by event you can search by event and um i think that's super super helpful if you're looking to find some resources you can go like i just want to see lexi decks from tournaments not just lexi decks that people have just randomly brewed up and you see events so that, I, I like that a lot i big shout out to february yeah and something you mentioned there as well was talishar so talishar is the online way to play flesh and blood it is community driven and it is in my opinion it is the most powerful resource to be introduced to flesh and blood especially if you're a new player they have a spectate option you can watch random people play um but it is a completely free way to play the game and it's the best way to try new things try new heroes try new cards um like such a good resource i know that if we had it sort of you know two three years ago it would have absolutely reshaped the entire landscape of the competitive game at that point so i i implore you to use talishar to practice to learn to try new things and potentially meet people um because they're like all the people that are on there playing flesh and blood they might be a part of your community and if they aren't yet they might become in the future right so talishar is fantastic I'm obviously a huge proponent of it, have been since since I found out about it, but a very clean, easy way to sort of dip your toe into um, sort of competitive flesh and blood. Yeah. Is yeah. so you saying meet hot sexy singles in your area through <laughs> Telesha? That's what I'm hearing. Uh, I, I, I will second majority of what Britain said on Telesha. I personally don't actually play much Telesha at all. I don't really use it to test uh, because because I have the luxury of having resources of people that I can easily jump on and, and uh, test games with or in person, which is obviously a lot of people don't have that. So Telshar is great for that. I think Telshar has this kind of, it's such a fantastic tool for, and the, the main reason I use it personally is to like jam ideas. So jam new decks, pick up like, oh, I want to learn how to play Bolton. I don't really know. So I'm going to like play some games, learn the kind of ins and outs. I think there's kind of some diminishing returns. I think to test and tune a deck to get perfect sort of information of matchups and stuff. I'm not sure Talishar is the best. It's the best. I think it's a great tool. And if you have someone you know that can play those matchups, I think that's great. But a lot of people are doing the same thing that you've just been doing. They're just testing decks. They're trying to find things. They're probably not playing optimally. So I think once you get to the kind of past adoption to the point of wanting to really refine some things, maybe you want to move past uh, using the sort of Talishar random matchmaking sort of feature or gameplay feature 
use Talashar still if that's a great interface you want to use or be in person and, and try and find some people you can play those matchups into I think is kind of the next step mm-hmm. but really great yeah. for, for finding like for learning like you're saying it's it's such a it's such a good tool yeah it's it's powerful too I think that it uh, once it was adopted it kind of changed <clears throat> just the general landscape of competitive flesh and blood people got a lot better and it was very noticeable um, <laughs> yeah it's just going to reiterate one point here which is just watching gameplay videos learning from learning the play patterns of other veteran players like I think this is sort of a trick to get good at anything that you're new at is just watch people who know what they're doing and have been doing it for a while and then replicate that in the beginning and once you have a good fundamental base you can extrapolate and develop your, your individual skill from there but such a resource uh like i said over on youtube so many gameplays available the ones where they ha- will have the hand showing talk you through the lines utilize it if you want to get good quickly so next up and this is also a new point for us because not because it didn't exist but i think we had less of a focus on it there's less of a lens on it it's quite a popular topic nowadays and that's that's math so Flesh and Blood is a very mathy game, <laughs> um, just in the sense of like how it, the cards are developed via what you call it. I don't know if you would call it an algorithm, but they have no, some some sort of <laughs> it's yeah, an art, not a science. But they have some guiding Fun- principles of of design yeah. that they use, which revolves around the idea of a four. Basically, is kind of the but yeah, exactly right. So there's it's there's like a pretty consistent. Um, the formula for how they develop the cards and they try to keep things on like a relative power level and if you understand that then you can potentially spot cards that exist above that level that have maybe broken broken some of those rules or stepped slightly outside of it and you know build your deck from that that's how some of the best decks in the game that exist right now have been built we're just looking at those those numerical those numerical values um so hayden talked about the rule of four I want to talk about another way of looking at it, which is on the individual card basis, which is the rule of eight. Um, so an example of this would be Raging Onslaught from from Welcome to Wraith. Basically, if you add up the attack value, the defense value, the pitch, so red would be one, blue would be uh, three, and then you subtract it by the cost, you should get to eight. This is not going to this is not going to blow your mind, right? You're going to realize this is on most cards, and the cards that it's not like that on is because there's some text in the text box that they're valuing at one or minus one or something like that what you can use this for is finding cards like pulse life harpoon right so the the ability the ability on pulse life harpoon if you do that little math equation is actually valued at one but if you think about it pulse life harpoon you get to you get information you look at your opponent's entire hand you potentially get to snag a critical card out of their hand and force them to block and that probably is worth more than one thus pulse life harpoon is one of the more powerful cards in the game. So just by sort of keeping that rule in your mind uh, and evaluating new cards, it definitely helps to sort of, especially when a, a new set comes out, find out like what cards potentially are a little bit too powerful. What should I be looking at first? Yeah, I, I think the great thing about Flesh and Blood is a lot of different ways you can cut and look at power level of cards how they're going to play you know doing this kind of face of evaluation like like brennan's talking i think for for me on the the flip side of that i look similarly to that i'm less interested in kind of the i guess the total value is a good way to look at like is this card potentially above rate that's a good like starting point i think i think the, the way that i like to look at sort of cards generally is like what's the ceiling and what's the floor of this card when it comes to that kind of piece so like you can use a bit of math there but it's it's more about like 
what's the highest expected damage of this card? What's the lowest expected damage of that card? And that's going to give me a really clear idea. So pulse wave, I'll use the same example Brendan used. Pulse wave harpoon. What is the floor of that card? It's a one for four. That's the floor mm-hmm. of that card. Or a defense for three. That's the floor of that card. Pretty good. Yeah, it's at red. So it, it's it's okay. It's okay. You could say, okay, it's got boost. And if you're playing a full mech deck, you can always ensure that it has go again. So it's a one for four with go again. Okay, good. We're, we're you know, we're, we're about on rate. This is, this feels pretty reasonable. Defense for three. But the ceiling of that card, if I get the best card out of my opponent's deck, out of my opponent's hand, let's say I'm playing against a Bravo who's looking to crippling crush me next turn. I pull that crippling crush out of their hand. Okay, now I've just turned their 11 damage plus taking two of my cards. So if you set a card's worth about three, 17 potential damage worth of a turn, and I've turned it into maybe now they have to come in with a blue disable or something for seven, 10 damage. My Pulse Wave Harpoon is worth, you know, 10 plus four minus a three blocking, 11 damage. Like that's how that's how I kind of look at that's a That's a ceiling. I've just found a ceiling in that matchup. So that's kind of yeah. how, you know, a bit different. But we're doing basically the same thing. We're just getting to it different ways, which is trying to understand what is the value of any particular card in Flesh and Blood. 100%. And uh, a good example of that as well is like if you looked at a card like uh, Aether Wildfire and you evaluated it the way that I talked about, it wouldn't be very impressive. But if you thought about the ceiling and putting you know multiple cards on that combat chain and getting that bonus effect, then you would realize, okay, the ceiling on this card is is crazy. That's right? pretty high. You evaluate, the- <laughs> yeah, it's pretty high. It's probably one of the highest of the game. But you evaluate the floor and then you build a deck that can hit that ceiling as consistently as possible, and boom, you have a combo deck. That's it. Yeah, um, I want to. So yeah. I want to compare something we've talked about previously. If you did, if you, so I think we did a podcast similar to this, sort of like five five level up tips. We did we did a pod like this in one of our first twenty episodes we ever did. And one of the things we talked a lot about was winning turn cycles. And that's effectively what we're talking about here to an extent is where a turn cycle is so important in Flesh and Blood. And it's, you know, if you win every single turn cycle over a game, you'll probably win the game majority of the time. If you if you sort of eke out value of every single turn cycle of the game, how do you do that? Well, you do the thing Brennan just talked about. You get the most out of a card, you get the most value out of your hand. And to understand each individual card is going to help you do that the most. So... I think with this, if I'm talking about actually applying what we've just talked about here, the, the place to do this is deck building. You apply this during deck building. You can apply this when a new set comes out and you're trying to look for cards to put into your deck or to build around. You can also apply this when you just drop your four cards and you go, okay, what is the actual value I can get out of this? And that is what I guess I'm getting at is getting back to this idea of winning turn cycles, um, which is really important right now in Flesh and Blood. It's become important again because the game has gotten a bit fairer than maybe it has at other points. Winning turn cycles. That's literally what Michael Hamilton's, you know, Bull Lander deck does yeah. a lot of times win turn cycles. And that's actually hugely important in where we are in Flesh and Blood right now, which is, yeah, I just think the tip is get back to winning turn cycles if you can. Yep. And that that also applies to as you are playing a turn cycle, uh, looking at your hand and figuring out what is the sort of highest value play you can make, right? Sure. Like, should you be blocking with a card if it you lose five value of attack for going down to a three card hand probably not unless you're going to die or get hit by an on hit effect maybe you should use the attack value of that card which is a higher expressed value of the card if it defends for something like three but we won't get too much into Ooh. into all of that go ahead to get into it but i just think that what you're showing there is that knowing the value of your cards and understanding where they can be is going to make that job so much easier you drop your hand yep. and it's like oh i know what this wounded bull can be worth i know what this aether wildfire can be worth in my deck and it just it makes your turn to turn playing turn cycles just infinitely easier. So it's like this kind of, you know, start somewhere, build into something else. 
Yeah. So point number four is community and mentorship. So I think that if you want to get good at the game of flesh and blood, it's it's pretty important to get out there and actually play, ideally in person, to be honest. Like, go to your LGS and meet the people that are also playing the game. This is where you're going to find that mentorship, right? You're going to find people that have been playing for a while, maybe have had a little bit of success. Even if it's success at the armory level, that's still going to be infinitely above where you are when you first are starting the game. And surrounding yourself with those kind of people is going to allow you to sort of learn and get better at what I would consider to be like an exponential rate, right? You're learning from the mistakes of others, the lessons of others, and I feel you will just get so much better, so much faster if you actually spend the time in your LGS. And if you don't have that available, join a community online, find a group of people that, you know, also play online and share ideas. And that's, it's, 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 the biggest level up. Uh, I think I said it already in this pod that I was terrible at Flush of Blood until I met the right players, right? And they helped me become good. And that's just how it is, right? Nobody nobody really does it on their own unless they're maybe Michael Hamilton. Don't sell yourself short. You you weren't terrible. You were just bad. Like it's, you know, what it would... No, I'm kidding. But I, I couldn't agree more. Like not only is, first of all, Flesh and Blood community is freaking awesome which I know a lot of people who listen to the pod know that we have an awesome Arsenal Pass community but I know a lot of our Arsenal Pass listeners uh you know they're, they're more part-time players they they can't find as much time to play as they want they might consume a lot of content I've I know this because people tell me this you know I, I've heard from our listeners uh shout out to you guys what what you like about Arsenal Pass and what you like about other content you consume and how much you actually play Flesh and Blood and one of the cool things I think you can do though is you can be involved in communities physically or online like you say and I witnessed this this past weekend. We did this uh, here in Sydney. We we got some people together. We did a, a, a four hour kind of like session where people were getting starting to get ready for ProQuest. And I think what happened in that four hour time is people came together and they started talking about the game and they talked about the decks they wanted to play. And everyone came with the idea of I want to get better. I want to come out away from this four hour session with some improvement. And that's all it, I think it takes. You know, is like you could you could go to your LGS once a week yeah you could go and jam some games and play some just like do your own thing play your armory games and this off afterwards and head home or you could go there you could interact with people you could be involved with your community you could ask people who you know you've played against after the game hey what was that matchup like how how do you find that matchup from your side what are the most important things for you you, know, you can actually be having this sort of idea of I want to learn through every game I play and honestly it's it's I think it's easy in flesh and blood because people are so good about it everyone wants to, they're happy to chat they're happy to share they're happy to learn from each other and um yeah I, I just i got to see this on the weekend and i think that can be replicated in, in any lgs around the world which is, is really cool yep 100 percent. all right the last the last point is uh <laughs> something think both hayden and i can can speak to and i think the most critical part of actually punt. oh no? be, being good at being good at like anything in life which is learning from your losses oh, good good uh <laughs> yeah so before we get into sort of personal anecdotes, uh, I want to talk about the pitch stacking trick, uh, which is something we've said many times on, on Arsenal Pass. But the story goes, I was at a pre-release for Monarch, and um, I was sitting at a table, and the the player next to me lost the game. And looked over, and he was like, I don't know what I could do. There's nothing I could do. And I saw how big his deck was at the point it was very small uh, i think it was like five cards so certainly or at this point was very likely to be on second cycle and yes was so had pitched cards in their deck and i was like okay i hear what you're saying why don't you flip over your deck so flips it over you know fans it out and i just like okay 
would you ever want to draw any of these hands? And he said, no. I was like, great. I mean, there's a learning point right there, right? Because often the cards you use for resources in Flesh and Blood, depending on the format you're playing, I guess, you will have to reap what you sow. They will come back, right? So the second cycle of Flesh and Blood is is theoretically perfect information, right? If you can remember it. And you're pretty much almost completely in control of that. And you can practice uh, setting up and setting up to play that second cycle and maybe not just drawing multiple forehands of blues and potentially being able to win some of these longer, grindier games. And uh, a tool you can use to see how well you're doing that is at the end of the game, think about what cards are left in your deck. And if you can't remember, it's fine. But just flip it over and just say, hey, would I would I ever want to draw this hand? Is this a hand I can win the game with? If the answer is no. Um, then you likely have a lesson you can learn from that. And you can focus on doing that in future games. It's not always going to be the case. Sometimes you're going to want to sort of be hot out the gate and you know trying to win the game early. And if it goes late, you just lose. But I mean, often what I find in limited... Um, depending on, I guess, kind of depending on what format, maybe maybe less uprising, but you do reap what you sell when it comes to the pitch to the to the pitch stack and you can you can you can adjust that sort of that sort of play cycle, right? By pitching uh, you know, pitching a red card by over pitching and planning for that for that later game. We'll get accused of uh, trying to bring back second cycle again, Brendan. <laughs> it's 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 a great example. Like there's so many so many things you can look at like that. And yeah, you know, some games that might not be relevant right like brennan's saying but the games where it is there's a lesson to be learned effectively like you're saying and there's there's so many things like this it's you could be playing a game and you know you get to the end and it's like i have a piece of equipment left with like a defense on it like or you know i have a piece of active equipment so snapdragon scalers like goliath gong or whatever it is and I'm, I'm dead and i haven't used this or i won and i haven't used this like there'll be a lesson there you know where could i have used this backtrack through the turns Am I too conservative with this card? Did I just not draw the right hands to use it? Did I have a hand, like Brennan said, have I set up a hand where I could actually use the Snapdragon Scales and could have won the game? I just had to get through to that standpoint. There's all these different things. And I, it goes back to my, like the previous point Brendan made about, uh, you know, community and, and mentorship and things like this is a lot of the time someone else will be able to help you point that out if you just ask, which is, is really cool, I think. So definitely recommend getting on board with it and trying to, Every game of Flesh and if you want to get better at Flesh and Blood and you want to do it quickly, the best way to do it is to make sure you learn something from every single game you play. Just make sure that you don't walk away from the table until you've learned something from that game. Win, loss, whatever it is. Like, just be like, what could have gone better that game? Even if I won and it was a breeze of a game, was there something that could have been done differently? Did I sideboard correctly? You know, there, there'll always be a lesson. If you sit there and make sure you learn a lesson from the game, you, you'll, you'll find something. I guarantee it. There's just, there's so much happening in a game of Flesh and Blood, it's impossible to not have something to take away from it. Yeah, and <clears throat> over to a sort of personal story of learning from learning from uh, learning from your losses in Flesh and Blood. When I first started playing Flesh and Blood, I was playing here at Reaper Game Store in in Dallas, Texas. There was not a big there was not a big scene. This was back in 2019. So very small group of players uh, that would come to the LGS and play Welcome to Wraith Alpha Draft um, or Constructed. And the prior to the first Austin calling in in that in 2019 there. <clears throat> I had amassed quite quite a record at my armory. I was a little, little Andy Armory champ here in Texas. I was I was undefeated. I was in something in like the 20, 20 something and or thirty and uh, And I went down to Austin. And my first game at the what was the Battle Hardened back then, which was a Friday event where you would play like the devs and or James White as well as other players. And if you beat him, you would get uh, you would get the the lore book. 
Uh, my first match was against a, an unknown player that had flown from across the sea named Sasha, Sasha Markovic, and uh, yeah, I lost. So I went from pretty much never losing a game of Flesh and Blood in my life to the first game as I went to travel this tournament losing. And, you know, I learned a lot from that. I learned that, you know, I'd probably reinforced reinforced a lot of bad ideas by doing that much winning. I had become a bit, uh, a bit myopic in you know, some of the things I was focusing on, and it, it was... It was the most helpful game of Flesh and Blood I'd probably ever played up until that point, and was a critical moment because I was able to adapt and adjust on the fly. That was on the Friday, and then I went on to get second in in that tournament the next day um, because Sasha mentorship community <laughs> helped me and told me why I sucked and why I lost. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think that yeah, lo- <laughs> losses are just so powerful because they force they force you to learn, they force you to adapt. Wins, ideally, you can learn from your wins and you can look at things that you didn't do optimally or correct. But losses, uh, they hit you in the face. They will force you to learn or to adapt, or you will just simply keep losing. One of the things I love about learning from losses in flesh and blood as well is separating your play from the deck as well. I think is really cool. So I-, I recommend this: is a lot of times people will lose and they'll go, "Yeah, this deck sucks." Whatever burn it trash it whatever yeah, or they'll all the opposite they'll lose and be like uh you know like i lost because of xyz and not really focus on the deck I, I do that too much i think like i'm on the opposite side of like focus more on my plays rather than the deck i think you need to find a, a balance in the middle ground of like hey what can i learn from my losses as a as a player as just a my uh what's the word i'm looking for my turn to turn my mechanical play what can i learn from that or my strategy play and then also what can i learn about the deck i've just played because flesh and blood constructed and actually draft as well it's, it's both you it's all about the 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 marrying your play and the deck that's in your hands having the right deck set up having the right you know 60 cards having the right draft deck that you've you've put together what can i learn from the draft my construction etc but also from play and i think somewhere in the middle is like the ideal ground yeah easy definitely. said than done though <laughs> yeah yeah for sure i mean i think that it, that I think that's the the biggest sign of a mature and experienced and in like my idyllic professional flesh and blood player is someone who is able to separate from emotion during a loss. Like I think that's something that most of us when we start playing games like this, your first few losses, like you might get a little pissed at like some variance or mm-hmm. something. Um, but I think maturing as a player in this game is being able to separate from that and evaluate sort of your individual decisions aside from, you know, blaming something like this variance or this deck and appreciating the variance for what it is, right? And why it exists. And, you know, sometimes things are just like that. But yeah, it's all about how you view it. And I think you can, the the faster you start learning from your losses, the faster you get better in Flesh and Blood. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to my man, Dante Delfico. He's just a, as <laughs> <laughs> a pellet, you know, he really embodies that. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, man. Don't, don't even change. <laughs> yeah, he he sneaked across the line in terms of getting his pro card without <laughs> learning that lesson. Let's say that. Um, well, yeah, Hayden, that's it for me. That, those are top five top five level ups for new players. So quickly go through them. Number one, picking a deck. That's pretty prerequisite, to be honest. Online resources critical and nowadays in today's flesh and blood math uh obviously a hot topic. Michael Hamilton taking down massive tournaments, world championship and national championship back to back mostly attributing to math, but also incredible tight micro and macro play. Uh, Community and mentorship, get better faster, surround yourself with other people that know the game better than you do. And then finally, learning from your losses. Hayden, anything you want to wrap that up with, tie it up with a bow, put it under the Christmas tree? Mm, Always. No, I I think basically I would just harp on, particularly if I had to like point to one, I think 
community and, and mentorship, I think, is something that you can replicate even if you don't have an LGS. You know, with the online resources we have, if you aren't on the Flesh and Blood Discord, jump in there and, and, and you know, find the channels that suit you. Um, the moderation. <laughs> don't try and do everything. You know, find these players at your local LGS. Try and play into players that are better than you. I think those are kind of some of the ones that I would really highlight. For All sure. Well, that concludes episode 89 of Arsenal Pass. Check us out on YouTube. Um, we have a lot of videos coming up for the upcoming ProQuest uh, Pro season. So it's going to be deck techs, deck guides, all that good stuff to help you crush your local scene. While you're out there, hit us with uh, you know, backhand that subscribe button. Hit us with some likes. Drop us some comments. It helps more than you would know um yeah let us know what you think of our top five uh sort of level ups for new players let us know if we missed any or any what your sort of number six would be if you had one but yeah arsenal pass on youtube big shout out to all the arsenal pass patrons your support helps us do what we do and like i said we got those deck decks that guides coming to you here in january to crush that pro quest season hayden and i are on twitter i'm located at brendan apg hayden is located at fien f-y-e-n underscore dale Head over there, engage with us. Twitter is probably the most active social media platform for Flesh and Blood, as we call it, Fab Twitter. Generally a pretty healthy place. Uh, sometimes it gets a little spicy, I guess, but overall great if you're looking to sort of engage with the game, keep up with the players, all of that good stuff. Hayden, anything to close this out? Yes, yes, I do on, on that. If you want to find out what we do with the Arsenal Pass Patreon in January, Patreon is free. So you can get all access to all of our Patreon content in January for free. Uh, so if you sign up in January, you will not be charged for the month. If you're already a Patreon, you will not be charged for January. So that is our Christmas gift to the Flesh and Blood community. If you've got some friends that, you know, they might be interested in what we do, but they don't want to pay for the access to it, send them our way. Because uh, in the month of January, Brendan, as I say, it is free. Also, yeah, Brendan, pro- I have one quick question for you. Mm. It came from YouTube comments last week before we sign off for the week. How good this The question just says, why does Brendan have keyboards on his wall? Why do I have keyboards on my wall? Because yeah. I'm a keyboard connoisseur. And not the, if you're on the yeah, if you're on if you're on the uh the audio, not the musical kind, he has mechanical computer keyboards on his wall. I'm a connoisseur of fine things. What can I say? I, I like keyboards. Um I used to do I used to play a lot of video games. I've since kind of moved on with my life now i just play mobile games and occasionally throw my my phone across the room uh but yeah <laughs> i like keyboards uh i used to be pretty deep into it the blue one up on the wall there is actually a custom build um i got to sort of watch it be you know, built on stream and stuff and it was it was cool like there's a really popular content content creator on twitch called teha types i think that's his name um he just builds like that but you know gets you that silky smooth click all that good stuff but to be honest, Hayden, I just lo- was looking for stuff to throw up on the wall, and it was like, that makes sense. <laughs> well, there is well, there's one last question. Uh, again, audio listeners, Brendan, you have a framed picture of yourself on the wall. The question came in, why does Brendan have a framed picture of himself on the wall? I just think I look very handsome in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Again, looking for creative to sort of backdrop me, because for uh, sort of OG listeners of Arsenal Pass, I probably had one of the worst backdrops in history for quite a long time it was just like yeah, a long okay. room it was a long than my room current my a, current sucks i need to do something about yeah. this yeah a long room and then a door at least you got trophies to hang up uh, i i have a bunch of trophies too they're just <clears throat> they, haven't, they haven't quite come yet <laughs> um maybe one day anyway all right brendan that's the grilling over that's been episode 89 of arsenal pass until next week see you in the next one see you everybody 
still a light grilling in the show.